0: taking you inside the world of music this is inside music cast with rick such and eddie cabello on this episode inside music cast welcomes keith thomas welcome to inside music cast a podcast devoted to musicians fans and the people that make music happen i'm rick such and i'm eddie cabello
1: Welcome everybody from around the world, and as Rick mentioned, Inside MusicCast is devoted to bringing you candid
0: interviews, news, and information with the musicians, fans, and people that make music happen. That's right. This is the podcast that goes beyond the pop star and features the talent behind the talent. So if you're ready, let's get started. Welcome
1: everyone to another segment of Inside MusicCast. Today's guest is very much a seasoned musician, composer, but most of all he's a producer. He's based out of Nashville, which has always been sort of a third coast of the music industry, and has engineered and produced some incredible projects with artists across a wide array of musical genres, from pop to R.B. to classical to country. And as a keyboardist and a programmer, he can lay down one serious groove when it comes down to R&B bass lines. Our guest is Keith Thomas. Welcome, Keith, to Inside
0: Musicast. woo Thank you. I love that. Didn't you love that? I love that. Hey, Keith, I want to begin and ask you about the uh, the wide array of artists that you've worked with over the years, like Brian McKnight and Exposé, and from Charlotte Church to Amy Grant, Gladys Knight, James Ingram, Faith Hill, Yolanda Adams, Selena. How have you adjusted in working with such a diverse style of artist?
2: Well, you know, it's weird. I don't know. My, my manager calls me a freak of nature only because uh, one day I'll be doing classical and the next day I'll be doing country. And it's just – you know, I, I, I – I, consider myself uh, a musician first, and I think uh, the love of so many different genres, I've, I think that has allowed me to be involved in so many different diverse projects, but, um, you know, I don't know, I just, I, I really do love all genres of music, and so I, I've i studied them, and, uh, you know, I, I look at it, um, I had a great theater teacher who just passed away, by the way, but uh, she instilled in me um, so many great things, but one of them was how to uh, become the character and maintain that character, and I look at production that way. you know you assume the character of the style of the music then and you go with it It's almost if like you 're acting in a play or something you know, and so that 's kind of where I take that from and I learned a lot about music by acting and doing a lot of theater stuff
1: is that something uh, keith that you 'd find that's um... Typical or atypical of producers? I mean, uh, sometimes you get your, you know, your producers that they stick to one, you know, whether it's rap or whether it's country, and they have sort of a specialty. Is this something that that producers have to wear different caps, or do they typically don't do that?
2: Well, I, I I think for the most part they don't do that, and, and that's I don't think it's good or bad. I just think that. My particular situation, I grew up in a uh, southern gospel home. My my dad was a a southern Baptist minister, and we weren't allowed to listen to anything that wasn't country gospel or country music growing up. As a matter of fact, I had to sneak the carpenters into the house. That's how bad it was. (laughs) That's hard uh, stuff. That's hard (laughs) stuff. After my dad became okay with the carpenters, then I started to listen to R&B music, and and I started learning uh, learning the chord progressions and that sort of thing. And uh, I just started building a, a huge repertoire of, of artists that I loved, and I don't know, it just kind of grew into that. So I, I feel very fortunate that um, you know that I can do that. But at the same time, um, one would look at it and say, well, you, you know, he's not the master of anything, but he does a lot of different things. But I, I love that about because it, it stays fresh, and it stays exciting. And I, you know, one one minute I'm working on Charlotte Church and. Which was I hope we can talk about that later because that was kind of a freaky Uh thing being in the the middle of the Philharmonic there, not knowing how to read music. But (laughs) you know, so within the next minute, you're working on Brian McKnight or whatever. But um, yeah, it's 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 always interesting.
0: I'm curious to know about your early days as you know a budding musician and how did it grow? How how did you work yourself into being a musician? I mean, were you in the studio? Were you a studio musician? And did that form into um, you know finding your way into the producing aspect? Or how did that all develop?
2: Well. I wanted to be an actor, and I, I i that was what I wanted to do when I graduated from high school and I had a scholarship to go act and that sort of thing, but my dad wanted me to uh, to be a musician and wanted me to move to Nashville as a matter of fact, he talked me into moving to nashville and um at, at, at this point i had um, I had much determined that I was going to go and do the New York acting thing, but uh, I sent a song to Ronnie Millsap, who heard it and loved it, and moved me to Nashville as his first songwriter of his publishing company and uh As it turns out, he was on the road so much that he would allow me to have his studio whenever I needed it and i would spend i mean I'd spend three four days doing one song demos. And, uh, and that's where I started learning the production skills. Mm-hmm. And after about a year and a half with him, I moved over to Word Records as a staff writer and staff producer there. And um, I was I was at Word about seven or seven years or so. And in that time period, I had something like 25 or 30 number one hits there. And that's kind of where I built a lot of the production skills.
0: How old were you at the time when, when all this was happening? When well,
2: you were... I moved to Nashville in uh, 1979, which I was about 23 at the mm-hmm. time. So um, you know, it was uh, in my in my twenties that I really felt like I was learning how to produce records.
1: Mm-hmm. Back up a little bit, just for me, for my information. You know, you mentioned uh, Ronnie Millsap. Yeah. Who is you know in 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 country music? He's he's just a heavy hitter. Yeah. You know, I saw him on on television the other day. It was it was a HD special, and you know who he was playing with? He was playing with the Latino brothers out of Texas called the Lonely Boys. Oh yeah. And he was playing a couple sets with these guys. Ronnie, tell us a little bit about Ronnie. I mean, this guy must be so diverse. To be able to get to the the blues, Stevie Ray Vaughan type of music, and then uh, expand into country. Well, what did he dabble in as uh, you know, uh, an owner of a you know, he's a big star, but also a publisher too.
2: Well, I, you know, Ronnie and I didn't spend that much time together, but when we did, it was I learned a lot from him. But he was a great musician and had a great mm-hmm. ear. I Remember one string session one morning, we were. Um, doing strings, and his his string room was directly above the uh, recording room, and um, he kept hearing this vibration, and no one in the room could hear it, so he takes off, and of course, he's got, he he knows the studio really well, he runs up the stairs, and sure enough, there was a stand vibrating up there, and I think he was the only one in the room that could hear the vibration, but he's got tremendous sensibilities, and, Mm -hmm. and, and a wonderful musician himself.
1: So that sort of pointed you into a whole growth spurt of, uh, of understanding and working in the industry a little bit.
2: Yeah, actually, yeah, and being able to just have the time to experiment uh, without the pressures of uh, you know, having to turn anything in on time or whatever. He would allow me to just have this state-of-the-art studio to work in, and I, you know, I'm very appreciative of that.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm curious to know, you know, and I'm sure this varies from artist to artist, but when you're producing a project for an artist, how much control do you have over the creative process?
2: Well, I like to think I have 100%, but, you know, it's it's, it's, um, it's one of the things where I learned after so many years of doing it that it's really not about me. Um, And I think in my early days, I I tried to make it about me, and everybody does, I think, when they're trying to prove themselves and establish themselves. But uh, after so many years, um, I realized that my goal is not to really... To uh, make myself shine as much as it is to define the artist and help that artist achieve that goal and, and, and the artist and we all win when that happens because the artist becomes the person that uh, you know that i 'm trying to help uh, establish and you know I, I just think that um, so many producers, especially when they 're young, uh, they forget about that and, and uh, you know that 's what I want to do in, in, in my career now is to make sure that the artists that i 'm producing and that i 'm writing for that i 'm really true to that and true to them.
0: Mm-hmm. But, you know, you have an amazing roster of, of artists that you've worked with, and I'm curious to know how did those, and I, and again, I'm sure this varies, but where do you develop those relationships? Where do they come from? How do people find you, and how do you find them?
2: Well, you know, I, I think it's a, like you know the old saying, you're as good as your last hit. Well, to some degree that's true, but also the relationships are extremely important. Um, I, I think it's just basically people hear something you've done, and they respond to it, and, you, and before you know it, you're working with them. Um, and, there, and I've had a lot of great opportunities come my way, and I've worked with some of the best talent, uh, especially vocalists out there, that you could uh, ever hope to work with. As a matter of fact, I'm working with a young lady right now, a 15-year-old artist that I've just signed to Hollywood Records that I think is one of, one of the best that I've had the opportunity to work with. She's amazing, and mm-hmm. uh, it's only a short period of time before everybody knows who she is.
1: I <laughs> so, have a feeling you're right and, sure. and who is she?
2: her name is Jordan Pruitt
1: okay. and
2: uh, she's she's got her first music video that's launching on the Disney Channel in July and uh, we're even talking about having her own show
1: wow F- 15 yeah. years old
2: yes and I'm telling you guys she is amazing. Her voice is, um, I mean, she shouldn't be doing things at 15 that she's doing, so I'm wow. really pumped about her.
0: Charlotte Church was fairly young, though, when she got her start. As... Yeah,
2: she was. She was like, what, 12, I think it was, when I first heard <laughs> her
0: sing? It's amazing. Yeah. I remember seeing her for the first time and just not believing the voice that was coming out of such a petite little body, you know, just, it just, it amazed me.
2: Yeah, it is amazing. And I think it's because keep getting younger. I'm like going, wow, how does this happen?
0: Yeah.
1: Well, we're talking about Charlotte. You know, you worked on, of course, uh, it was a Sony Music project, and it was called Enchantment, right? Right. Yeah. Explain how that all uh, that that all happened. I mean, uh, them contracting you, or how how did you all meet here?
2: Well, I mean, this is kind of an odd situation how that came about. I was uh, David Salenberg is my manager and has been for I guess fifteen years, and he manages Black Eyed Peas, and Fuji's, Lauren Hill, Cliff, all those guys. But at that time, we had a little bit of a run in, and um, we decided to kind of part company for a while. And um, shortly after that, uh, Irving Azoff, uh, who was another mm-hmm. great manager, picked me up. And uh, the first project he sent me was uh, in chat was the uh, Charlotte Church project, and um, so I went over to uh, to London to do this project and, and by the time I got involved, a lot of the arrangements had been done, but at the same time, I'm on the floor in the London Philharmonic, and I don't read a stitch of music. Really? And so, yeah, and so they're asking me. So, what do you think about this? And all I could say was, "Hey, just play it for me, and I can tell you." You know, but it was intimidating. But at the same time, it was challenging and it was fun. You know,
0: you don't read you don't read music.
2: I don't read music. No, so you learn by ear. I play by ear. Yeah,
0: I'm the same way.
1: Yeah, you know, the Enchantment Project. It's I listen to a lot of it, and uh, it's it's really a compilation of some wonderful tunes. I mean, it's some show tunes, and even some some film. Uh, type of, uh, of tunes also yeah. how, how did you immerse yourself into that genre of music
2: well I mean like I said when I got involved uh, a lot of the songs had already been picked and that's yeah. the type of project this was anyway they wanted to do some show tunes they wanted to do some older stuff and and, uh, and they had picked a few of the rangers from uh, from London as well so uh, a lot of it was decided for me, but they wanted me to walk in and uh, help, just make pull everything together and make sure sonically that it was in shape, and then work with her vocally, and and I, that was interesting too because that was a fun fun process of uh, working with a classical artist like that. And she's oh my gosh, she's amazing. It,
1: it's a beautiful project. I, I would recommend anybody listening to to the, the podcast here to to go out and even if you're not into classical music, just uh, get get a listen, buy a couple uh, of uh, the the tunes, or listen to it on iTunes. Or or whatever just get get your, your your hands on it and and you can really have a whole new appreciation of what what classical uh uh music is with uh with a little twist and yeah, contemporize a little Yeah, a little twist bit. to it
2: and you know it's uh I don't know, it's got something special about it. I just, I love those old tunes as well, but, um, you know, and there's some great arrangements on there as well. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I'm not taking credit for that because I didn't do some of the arrangements, but I, I was just uh, I was just amazed at the, the level of the musicianship on that record.
1: Right. Going down the track of uh, different genres, uh, I am Latino, I, I'm i a Tex-Mex type of guy, okay? Yeah. And I love Mexican food. I don't know if you do. Oh, my God. Anyway. <laughs> I guys, love Mexican food. Let's not even go there, okay? I can eat it every day. <laughs> Which brings me to Selena, okay? <laughs> segue, didn't you like that rig? That was beautiful. <laughs> um, which brings me to Selena, okay? Uh, I'm from Corpus Christi, Texas too, wouldn't you believe it, okay? if For those listening who don't know who Selena is, she's probably one of the, the brightest shining talents that uh. Uh, ever hit the Tejano or the Tex-Mex music scene and before she was very, sa- you know, unfortunately she was, she was shot by one of her people in her own circle, but it was a, a very dismal end to an incredible talent. Explain okay. a little bit of working with Selena. How did you cross with her and, and Abe, uh, her her uh, her brother manager and so forth, uh, that was a beautiful project that you had.
2: Well, thank you. I I absolutely adored this girl. Um, I received an EPK uh, through the mail asking me if I'd be interested in working with her. And after seeing it, I called immediately and said, yes, I want to be a part of this. And so we met. She came down to Nashville. We met and talked. And I was actually going to wind up producing the bulk of her record and um, there were there were about three songs that she fell in love with immediately and i could fall in love with one of those mm-hmm. so i started to track those three songs that we had picked and uh... she was in town Doing the vocal for "I Could Fall in Love with You," and she was coming back two weeks later to do another track. And mm-hmm. she said, "Guys, I'll see you in two weeks, or a week and a half, or something like that." And um, I'll never forget walking out into the hall the following weekend, and my my studio manager saying to me, "Selena's dead." And I really, mm-hmm. I mean, I had a physical pain in my heart when he mm-hmm. said that, yes. and I just could not even believe it and uh... talking about working on that project knowing that the artist was no longer living was that was uh... Boy, was devastating
1: you know who actually said uh... and she was quoted i mean i mean not that i'm a big madonna fan but she was actually quoted and saying you know, that that was one of the most unique strong voices she had ever heard in her life
2: Oh, no question she was a star all the way around
1: well i mean she had such a strength behind her vocals yeah. that uh... i bet she just knocked you out when you were behind the, the console
2: oh it was and you know she was so adorable. We laughed until we cried because you know, she would speak uh, Spanish, and I couldn't understand a word she was saying. Of course, and, and she would laugh about some of the things we were, you know, the interpretations and that sort of thing. But um, one particular story was funny. We, um, when we were working on her vocal comp, she went out to to the grocery store and bought all this Mexican food, and she made this huge feast for us. Well, when Nona was working in the other studio and um, came into the kitchen when she was cooking and and ask if she would cook dinner for them well Winona thought that she was our chef at the studio
0: <laughs> and I never have let great. Winona live
2: that down but uh, she felt so bad about that but uh, yeah she does Just the kind of person she was she went out and bought all this food fixed us a great meal while we were in there working on her vocal and you know it was just that's who she was
0: you know as in the, the case with Selena obviously the you had a a great personal relationship with her outside of the studio, I'm sure. I, at least it's, it probably developed in that sense anyway. After
2: Well, it did, yeah. I mean, and, I, and it wasn't that I, I hadn't known her that long. It's just that it just felt so comfortable and mm-hmm. so real in such a short, short period of time that – you know, we we had a we had something there that was special. You know, and I, I think that's what it's all about. When you really, um, I don't know, you you relax and you you like the person you're working with, and it just kind of works. I don't know what that is. I mean, you know, people say it's magic or whatever, but mm-hmm. it's it, we had something there, and I. I uh, I was just totally devastated when she was uh, she was taken
0: from us. Well, as with Selena or any any artist that you've worked with, I'm I'm sure there's obviously, you know, you're you're bringing out of them something very personal, which is their instrument, and yeah. and uh, being in a studio and working with someone so intensely um, over over a period of time, you probably develop a great relationship with these people. And I'm curious about the new artist that comes in, somebody that you know you're you're just starting to work with. How do you mold yourself into a new relationship with someone?
2: Well, I mean, first of all, it's all about trust, and, and you know they have to trust you. They have to feel like you're doing the the, the best job that, that you could do, and and it takes time. But if you've got a new artist like that's never been in the studio before, it's a lot easier that way because you're helping them to to learn how to sing in the studio. You're learning, you're teaching them, you're mentoring them as you go. But if you've got someone that's that's done it before, that's a little more difficult, and you really have to work at that. But um, and you you know you really have to like the person, and and you believe in them. So. Uh, it's a, it's a lot it's a lot harder that way, but I've I've had several of those that way that I've just walked away and we've uh, you know built great relationships on that.
0: Actually, what I meant to ask you, I kind of lost my train of thought a second ago. Is is when when you're um, about to work with somebody new, a new artist, for example, um, do you spend a lot of time with them prior to getting into the studio? Do you? you have... I
2: try to. You know, sometimes it doesn't work out where we can do that. Mm-hmm. So if they're in town for three days or whatever, we'll spend a half a day just talking, yeah, you know, or more, just and going to lunch or going to dinner, or whatever, just so that I can. Kind of get to know the person and figure out how they're going to work. Yeah, how they work, and, and just know a little bit more about them personally, and what they what they like, what they don't like, and you know, just try to try to be as comfortable. Because once you get in the studio, it's 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 tough not knowing who you're working with, you know. And um, you know, it's a process. So it, mm-hmm. it takes a while sometimes. But then there are other times where you just feel like you've known this person like Selena forever, and it, it just clicks.
1: You know, you're based in Nashville, um, but when you work with you know artists from all over. Um, you know, tell me a little bit of the difference. I mean, you've probably been asked the perennial question. You know, the LA music scene, the New York music scene, the Nashville music scene. I mean, what, uh, do you travel to LA to produce in, in LA? For instance, Vanessa Williams. She seems to be a, uh, a more LA type of, uh, artist for some reason. I don't know why. Oh, yeah, well,
2: you're <laughs> right. But you know what I found is, especially when I owned the Bennett House, uh, in Franklin, People loved coming to the Bennett House because it was an old, historic home. It felt really comfortable. And uh, it was the town itself of Franklin is, uh, used to be, and it's grown a little bit now. But it used to be like a little bit more like Mayberry, mm-hmm. very quiet. But uh, people love to come to Franklin, and and I've never, I maybe I've had a couple of experiences where people just did not want to come to Nashville. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I'll travel anywhere that that I need to to make it comfortable for the artist, and I've done that uh, extensively.
1: Did Vanessa come to Bennett House?
2: Yeah, she did. She, That's and, awesome. And, and you know, we um, she would come, bring her kids, and they would stay for two weeks at a time, that sort of
1: thing. Some, I've seen some photographs, Rick, of, a, of the Bennett House, and it's, it's a real it's, – it's a beautiful building. Um, but it's, a, it's really an open ex- – explain the studio. It's an open old home yeah, that you it, have different to a, a living area that could be set up for drums and so forth. Explain the setup there at the Bennett House.
2: Well, it's uh, Norbert Putnam, who is a, a great producer um, – Known for, like, uh, I'm trying to think some of the artists, Dan Fogelberg, was, all his records were made there. Mm-hmm. But um, he bought the house and initially made the, the house a recording studio, but it's a home that was built in 1876, I think it was. And he converted the house into a studio. Well, he kept the drywall, I mean, the uh, plastered walls, which sound great. You know, the, the ceilings are 14 feet, and the drums just echo for days in there and it's 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 really a great sounding house and um you know know, of course we had all sorts of baffling systems that we'd bring in to to get the right sound but overall the room sounds great and that's that's i've had you know many comments on the studio saying it's the best cutting room in town just because of the the nature of the house but um you know we had a at one point had a a live-in chef that would cook for our artists when they would come (laughs) in town and uh, we had two rooms there that were you know, going around the clock. It was just a great, homey environment, and everybody everybody loved it, and I loved to come to Nashville
1: yeah. for that. Is that where you did The Sweetest Days? It is, Really. Yes. Explain the project a little bit, could you?
2: I remember doing that project. It was raining so hard that we couldn't... <laughs> uh, we had to crawl out on the... Sea. There, There are these glass... Uh, skylights. Anyway, the the rain was hitting the skylights so hard that I we had to climb up on the roof outside in the rain and put out blankets so that we could dampen the, the studio. That's how bad it was. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And um, but we did the you know we did save the best for last there and sweetest days and um, yeah she she came to town and it was uh, you know it was one of those things where it was a wonderful memory that we've uh, that we've made there.
1: Yeah, a lot of people may not even know that uh, you actually worked on um, the film Pocahontas and. Uh... And Colors of the Wind.
2: Uh... Well, we um, you know we did the track in Nashville, but we actually went to New York and did the string session, which I will tell you, even though we did the London thing, we've done strings in L.A., something about the New York string players that just kills me, and that was probably one of my favorite string sessions we've ever done. Hmm. But we did the, uh, you know, we did strings things, and we did vocals in New York as well. But uh, that was a great project, won an Academy Award for um, Best Song for Motion Picture, mm-hmm. and um, I think Vanessa did a great job on that one.
0: Hey, Keith, my uh, my daytime job <laughs> is is a recording engineer. I, I own a recording studio. Oh, yeah? And, and um, I guess what I'm curious about is and – and I'm sure you'd agree that the relationship between the recording engineer and the producer is extremely important. Uh, and do you have certain engineers that you prefer to work with or, again, is this a decision that is more up to the artist?
2: No, I, it's it's up to me basically. Um, I, I've had the same engineer, guys, for 17, 18 years. Mm-hmm. Billy Whittington has done – almost everything I've done in the last 15 to 17 years, I guess. With occasion, there will be something that would come up that he couldn't make it, but he was actually on staff at the Bennett House, and um, you know he's traveled with me. He's, we, we went to uh, Australia together to do the Mandy Moore Project. I want to be with you. and I mean, he's done just about everything. In the last um, year and a half, He's actually been more freelance because I took three years off uh, starting in 2002, I think it was.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: so he started doing more freelance work, but we're still working together. As a matter of fact, he's here today working, uh, doing vocals for me today.
1: Session players. Let's talk session players a little bit. Okay. When you talk about the LA music scene, I mean, you get into, you know, your your classic perennial superstars, your Neese, your Phil and Gaines, your, you know, yeah. uh, and so forth. You know, Terry Trotter on keys and so forth. Nashville it has a whole different set of stars. Right. Ex- explain a little bit of how you go selecting people for your projects, even uh, where you get them from.
2: Well, I think all producers have uh, a group that they select mm-hmm. from, and in Nashville there are a handful of guitar players, bass players, drummers, that sort of thing that you all, you know, you go to and I'm always listening to new CDs trying to find that next new player or whatever. But also pop music in general now has been a lot of programming driven, you know, and I program a lot of the stuff that I produce. And uh, so it gives me a chance to play with the sounds, play with the parts before we actually get someone in. So I can tell by that who I want to use if even if I I want to use a real player or not. Right, you know? exactly. But um uh, yeah, I mean and Nashville has some has some tremendous players. They are really, really great players. I haven't worked that many with that many players in L.A. Uh, recently. I, I mean, I did back a few years ago, but uh, that has been a lot of uh, programming stuff that I've been working on lately.
1: Mm-hmm. So, percentage-wise, are you basically programming, would you say, 50% of the work that you're touching, just taking it from beginning to end?
2: Yeah, I would yeah. say that's a good, that's a good balance. Uh-huh. Um, as a matter of fact, I just... like Well, I told you about Jordan Pruitt, this new artist that I'm working with. Her project is um, probably 50% programming and, and uh, live musicians. I just finished... A new artist uh, named Reese Palmer, a black country artist, which is uh, quite an anomaly. But it, 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 it's all live, you know. It's all like uh, fiddles and drums and live drums, and uh, you know, the hold the whole bit. But um, and so that that particular thing was a totally different headspace, and and I love that because that's kind of where I came from, you know. It's uh, the whole live thing it's, it's in my dad's band and you know, early starting, mm-hmm. uh, like people like Kenny March and those guys. It was all live at that. Point. Right. Yeah.
0: We've spoken about the country and Christian artists that you've produced, but you've also had your hand in producing some amazing R&B talent. It would seem that in Nashville, the stereotype would lean towards the production of country and Christian artists. Right. And with R&B, it would seem like that style of music would be more suited for what you'd find being produced just down the road in Atlanta. Of the R&B artists that you have a relationship with, are you producing their work in Nashville or in other locations?
2: Yeah. I mean, everything I've done has been out of Nashville. Um, and, and you know, Atlanta's obviously got some great R&B talent down there, but I think what happened was when bb and C's album... Uh and it was so successful that I started getting calls from a lot of these, from a lot of the R and B people and um, the R B artists, rather. And uh, that's kind of where that that came from. And um, I remember my first meeting with Vanessa Williams. It was based off of hearing C's album. I flew to New York, and someone, as a mean joke, told her I look like Mike Tyson. Well, I'm a white as they come, you know. <laughs> so I walk in the room, and the first thing out of her mouth was. You're white. Yeah. Um, yes, I'm white. Yeah.
1: Uh-huh.
2: So um,
1: no, that was a different Styles project that you're talking about. Yes, that's '91. It was a Grammy winner for Soul Gospel Dove Awards and uh Song of the Year, is number one R&B Billboard, and the list goes on. But you that that was one kicking album that had such a bass groove to it. So it goes back to my introduction. You you know, you, know you, you describe yourself as one white guy that can nail a groove, oh. and, and you did it because you know um I, that's one of the most beautiful projects uh you even had mavis staples come in i mean one, right. of the, one of the superstars uh in a remake of i'll take you there explain that session
2: well i mean that was a blast we um you know bb and i talked about doing remaking this song and and uh, the idea came down hey we got to get mavis to sing on this thing well we didn't know if we could make that happen or not but it finally worked out and the just working in the studio with her was a huge treat mm-hmm. I, and and She blows. I'm telling you, it's so loud. She stands ten feet from the mic, and you can still have to. Yeah, you can't record it.
1: I can imagine. I just I saw her. You know, she's probably sung that time thousands of times with everybody. You know, thinking, you know, hey, let's all sing. I'll take you there. Uh, A few weeks ago, I saw her sing on uh, on a program with Joss Stone. And you know, John Stone can throw it out, and uh, and Mavis was right there on. She was, you know, how old is Mavis Staples now? You know. Yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> and, she can throw down. I'm telling and, you, and that, she's wow. still in, she's still in her prime. But that different lifestyles. I congratulate you. That was
2: well, thank you. That was a
1: landmark album. That for
2: was you. fun. That was a, that was a fun project. And we did that at the BB, at the uh, Bennett House as well. That's before I actually owned the studio there.
1: And going backwards a little bit, I mean, you know, you said you're a musician first. Right. And uh if anyone uh I always like to to bring out the the skeletons in the closet, but I have in front Uh-oh. of me two albums of of your <laughs> solo albums. Well, the first one is uh is your uh, your debut one called Instrumental Appetite. And, or Instrumental yeah that's right Yeah, Instrumental, instrumental appetite. appetite yeah yeah and then the second one was Kaleidoscope are you the guy that really put B.B. B. Winans on the chart here I mean it was that well, pro- I mean
2: I, yeah I basically got him signed to uh, Sparrow Capitol.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: We were, and Capital and I put him on that project for that reason I um, I wanted to get him a deal mm-hmm. and and um, So we decided to put him on that record, and that, and and you'll see if you'll notice on that record, Greg Mm Gidry was another artist, and uh, I'm trying to think of uh, the other artist that was on there. But I was I was experimenting at that point with signing artists, and these three artists that were there, I was contemplating signing. Well, BB, it obviously worked out where we got him signed to Sparrow, Mm -hmm. but um, and I knew at that point when I was doing that record that I was leaving Word and I was going to be on my own. So I was trying to be proactive and trying to get my company going and that sort of thing. So that's what that was about.
1: And it was soon after that that you basically acquired the band house and, and yeah. things started exploding
2: yeah when it started things started happening and I, you know it was just it was a fun ride
1: well you know we're almost at the end of our interview here with you Keith but where's Keith Thomas pointing uh, for the future what can we expect
2: well I am I'm really excited about where I am right now I tell you I, uh, I like I said earlier in the interview I took three years off and just kind of evaluated things and uh, when I came back, I found this adorable little fifteen-year-old. Actually, she was thirteen when I signed her. But I, I found this little girl out of Atlanta, and I uh, and I basically kind of went back to my roots and I, how I got started. And that's finding talent and getting it signed, like BB B. and CC, C., that sort of thing. And. And uh, I spent a year and a half developing this project, which we've just signed to Hollywood Records, and, and Disney is talking about maybe doing a show on her and that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, that's, I'm more in the development and the record company. I'm, I've got a label imprint with Hollywood, and uh, I'm just looking for new talent that I can develop and, and, uh, and, and have more control over. I, I feel like there have been times in the past that, you know, you spend so much time in the studio, you write the songs, and, and then you hand it over and, and it gets lost. So what I'm trying to develop right now is a way to be able to see the project from the beginning to the end and make sure, even from a marketing standpoint, I have a partner now that we are working more in a corporate sponsorship role so that we can get our artists out there in different genres, especially with the Internet now. It's so great. It's opened the doors to so many independent labels and new ways of marketing and selling products. So the whole thing is exciting about what the potential is there.
1: Well, I'm sort of envious because you're sitting in a position where you've come across... Um, great artists but they're just not great singers they've uh, they sing what they experience they write what they experience and you get to put your spoon in there and mix it up into something that sounds really cool you know
2: well uh, yeah I hope so you know and like I said earlier that's my job is to try to f- see what this artist is about and, and see what if I what I add really makes this artist who, who they want to be or who they are you know and I, that's that's a challenge sometimes but I love that you know and it's nothing more rewarding than seeing somebody win after mm-hmm. you do that
0: that's true yeah. Hey, Keith, I have one final question for okay. you, and I, I think I'm stealing it from Eddie, but what's on your iPod right now?
2: <laughs> Natasha Bedingfield. Uh-huh. I can't get enough of it. I love it. That's what a my groove. favorite thing right now.
0: You live for the groove, don't you?
2: I love it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that record has such a great blend of, mo- like, rock and urban, and, yeah. it, and it's, it, it feels like it's just thrown together, but it's not. It's so well put together, I really commend those guys for whatever great job they did. Excellent.
1: That's awesome. Keith Thomas, uh, thank you so much for being with us on Inside Music Cast. Thank you, guys, so much. We enjoyed everything you've been able to contribute, and uh, we'll see everybody on the next segment of
0: Inside Music Cast. For Rick Such, I'm Eddie Cabello. Thanks a lot. Thanks once again to Keith Thomas for joining us on this episode of Inside Music Cast. Our goal is to bring you a new podcast once every other week, so be sure to check your podcast downloads for the next episode of Inside Music Cast. If you have a question or a suggestion for the show, please drop us an email at input at insidemusiccast.com. That's input at insidemusiccast.com with one C. For Eddie Cabello, I'm Rick Such. Stay subscribed to Inside Music Cast, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for downloading Inside Music Cast, the podcast devoted to the musicians, fans, and the people who make the music business happen. Your subscription is appreciated, so be sure to check your podcatcher for our next episode. You can also visit InsideMusicCast.com for additional content. If you'd like to contact us via email, the address is input at InsideMusicCast.com.